This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. And right now we're in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk is a very lesser known prophet. Uh, a prophet in his own right, but uh, among the many prophetic books, uh, Habakkuk wasn't really considered a prophetic book, or not a lot of people consider, consider it a prophetic book because of the fact that there is no prophecy in the book. Uh, it is an oracle from God, a vision from God, a, a, a painstaking song that this prophet is actually singing to God and voicing his, his vows, and he's voicing his pain and his suffering. And in many ways, we can identify with that because of what we go through in our personal lives. And today, as we're approaching the third book of Habakkuk, chapter number, uh, chapter number three, verse 16 to 19, this is our last installment. So if you haven't caught any of our last six messages, I encourage you, uh, go to our YouTube page or our Facebook page, and you'd be able to catch those messages. It's a powerful study. So I want to read from verse 16 in Habakkuk chapter number three, and this is what the Bible says, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as the deer, able to tread upon the heights. Would you pray with me? Father, would you speak to us through the word, God? I pray, God, that you will give us a word for this day, for this week, for our families, for our church. And I pray, God, that we will take this and we will run with it. I pray, God, that every word that you have spoken to us over these last seven, six weeks, and as we get into this last week of this study in Habakkuk, I pray, God, that more than anything else, in the middle of pain, in the middle of suffering, and there are so many of us that are going through suffering right now, and for many of them that, that, whose suffering have, has not hit as yet, I pray, God, that they will be equipped to be able to face uh, those sufferings head on and be able to face it with faith, with grace, with mercy. And I pray, God, that you will fill them from the inside out and you will strengthen them in these coming days. Speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen. I wanna title my message this morning and if you're taking down notes, please take down notes. Write down this title, When Pain Keeps You From, from Praising. When Pain Keeps You From Praising, what do you do? We have to move from pain to praise, or a subtitle could be how to move from pain to praise. I want to give you some introductory comments before I get into my message today. It was the theologian Shane Hips who writes this very thought-provoking piece when he contrasts pain and praise. Uh, and I'm going to read that in just a second, but... This message comes from a place of, of pain in itself, where I've been hearing so many stories over the course of the last few weeks of different families within our church and outside of our church going through so much in their lives. 
questions that rage and issues of life that come up and things that you have asked God about and you're not getting answers for and wondering when the answer is coming or how the answer is coming. And in and through it all, God speaks to us and says, uh, in our confusion as to how we translate pain into praise, God encourages us and says there is a way in which God protects us and keeps us and, and, and envelopes us and, and offers a magisterial caveat of grace over us in times of pain. No one here can deny that in pain it's so hard to praise God. I would be lying as a pastor if I told you that uh, I can praise God right through my pain. There are times of pain that I go through that I look at God and say, God, it's hard for me today. It's difficult for me to pray. It's difficult for me to sing. It's difficult for me to lift up my hands. It's difficult for me to talk to other people. It's difficult for me to live out my faith. It's hard, God. I don't know how many of y'all can identify with that. How many of you have smiled through your pain? I encountered this with my daughter, my five-year-old, my firstborn, uh, the other day when I was, I was talking to her and she didn't really like what I was telling her and she started bursting, she burst out into tears. She's crying, bawling her eyes out. Don't, for those of you all who have kids, don't you have those moments where your kids cry and smile and laugh at the same time? Like, have you all been there or is, it that, is that just me? They do that sometimes, right? Where, they, where they're like, they want to laugh, but they're like, <laughs> and they're like, I can't, I can't imitate it. She can do it really good. But, but, but she starts crying, and out of nowhere, I, I tell her, hey, Mick, if you, if you stop crying, or if, if you listen to what I'm about to tell you, this is what you're going to get. Or I point her to the blessing, and immediately in the pain, she sees hope. She sees, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to, but, but still she's reminded of the pain. She's still reminded of the no that I just told her, that she, 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 she wants to say, yes, I want to agree to what you're saying here and the redemption and the blessing that you have in store for me, but it's so hard. So the crying and the tears mix with all the joy and the happiness, and I can't describe what that is after that, but it, 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 it gives me joy as a parent. It makes me want to go more and more and more to just see that come out of her. But it's very common in us. And Shane Hips, he's actually bringing this thought out and he suggests that when worship is just celebration, it becomes kind of a pep rally to inspire excitement about who God is. Interesting. And because grief is an unpleasant emotion, we tend to deny our suffering in favor of celebration. It's powerful when you think about what he just saying. Because authenticity and integrity in worship, it means expressing both lament and it means expressing praise. A Christian that only resolves to one misses out on what worship truly is and what praise truly is and what they get out of praise. In moments of praise and in moments of celebration, we always have to remember that worship is also moments of desperation, is moments of pain. Each complements the other. Without lament, praise is a little more than shallow sentimentality and a denial of life's struggles and sin. And without, without, without praise, you know, uh, lament is a denial of hope and grace, both of those which are central to our life of faith. In essence, this is what Shane's pointing out. He's pointing out that the Psalms or the book of Habakkuk, for example, is this narrative arc of sorts. 
that has this beginning and end, but there's this arc, right? And he says it's this dramatic movement from grief and lamentation to celebration and joy, all right? I want you to bear with me as I go through this. I want you to understand, do, do you guys know that it is possible to, to praise even when you are in pain? I know we hear about this very often. We hear messages about this. We hear sermons about this. Praise through the pain. Dance in the rain. Though the sorrow may last for the night, the joy comes in the morning. The cliches that we hear very often. You can love God even when you experience loss. You can experience God's presence even when you go through terrible situations. In fact, let me tell you from experience that the most authentic times of adoration are often when we feel the most awful, when we feel the most let down, when we feel the most disappointed. Those are the moments that we see authentic praise come out. And as we approach chapter number three, let's learn from Habakkuk as he's followed this process that's moving him from a pain of pain, a place of pain that we've been discussing all along over the last six weeks, a place of pain and how he's transforming that place of pain into a place of praise. Worship is not complete until we allow or until we follow that arc from agony to adoration. I don't know how many of us are going through agony, how many of us are going through pain today, but I have a word of hope for you today that even through the pain and through the agony, God takes you full circle to the place where he brings you to say, hey, pain is also a place for you to worship, but he brings you around to the point where he says, I bring you to praise, and those are places that you will also see God's hand in. So how do you move from pain to praise? If you're struggling today, like I know some of y'all are, I urge you to follow this six-phase process, right? The first thing I want to remind you, and kind of like this, this reminder from the last few weeks of study, is be real. Be real. Habakkuk was asking questions. It's not wrong to ask questions or even complain to God. I want to take the religious mindset out of this message this morning. A lot of people say, it's not right to question God. God is sovereign. Yes, that's true. God is almighty. Yes, that's true. God is all powerful. Yes, that's true. So don't question him. Don't question him. Now, to say that's true would be opposing what the Bible teaches or what the great generals of faith did. The book of Job and many of the Psalms express serious questions to God. For example, Psalm 10 and verse 1, it begins rather abruptly. It says, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? He's basically saying, God, you may be powerful and you may be personal, but why can't I sense your presence right now? Anybody been there before or is that just me? The psalmist is expressing his frustration at the aloofness of the Almighty, right? And the psalms are saturated with these kind of questions. And I can go on and on. Psalms 13.1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 44, 23 and 24, 23 and 24, awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Come on, somebody, he's asking God why he's sleeping. Rouse yourself is what he says. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? How many of you have prayed that prayer before? God, have you forgotten me? Don't you see that I'm in pain right now? Don't you see that I just lost my job right now? God, don't you have eyes? We've challenged God before. But when you go to Habakkuk chapter number one, and we've, we've already discussed this, his, ask, his question is, how long, oh Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? He's basically charging God with being both indifferent and being inactive. 
Here's the thing, when tragedy leaves you teetering like, like, like Habakkuk is right now, it's not unscriptural to declare your questions to God. He's big enough to handle your cries. He's big enough to handle your situation. Some of us have been rocked by pretty rough stuff and you have questions raging in your heart and the best place to take that would be to the presence of God in prayer. But here's the difference. It's not about going to God and saying, God, what's up? This, that, the, the attitude matters. How are you asking God today? Are you asking with intention? Someone say intention. See, the word question has its root in the word quest. If you're on a quest to understand, if you're serious about seeking answers, then you don't hesitate to declare your doubts. If you don't ask, you might miss out on some some surprising answers and probably some uh, ultimately short circuits, some growth that God wants to accomplish in your life. Those are things that you might miss out on if you don't ask the questions. And Habakkuk's book begins with this interrogation of God, but ends with this intercession to God. Worry is being transformed into worship. Fear turns to faith. Terror becomes trust. Hang-ups is a resolve to hope. And anguish melts into adoration. But it all began with this uncertainty that he had. And we've talked about this already. In moments where you want to turn your pain into joy, in where you want to turn your pain into praise, remember that questions are okay. That being delusioned about what you're going through in your life is perfectly okay. It's okay to go into the presence of God and say, God, I don't know. Would you explain? Would you tell me? And sometimes God's answer, like to Habakkuk, would be, even if I told you, you wouldn't understand. And would you be okay with that? Would you be okay with saying, God, you know what? I'm asking you, but even though I don't get the answer, it's okay. But I want to challenge some people today. Approach the Lord in prayer. If he gave you the promise of you, trust in him. Remember that that's your place to go. And last week, we talked about the second point. The second point was look in the rear view mirror. That's the second point. How do you move from pain and and misunderstanding and confusion into pain? And to praise, it's by looking back at what God has done. Habakkuk reviews God's redemptive work in history in verses 5 to 15. And we won't take time to look at this, but, but, but suffice that it will say that in all of those verses, it, it talks about what God has done. And Habakkuk takes a moment to reflect, to look back and say, the way I will go, I'm going to move from pain to praise is by going to the next step of reminding myself that God is a covenant-keeping God. He is Yahweh. He's a God of promises. And if I trust in him, and if I hope, hope in him, I will make my journey from pain to praise. That's point number two. And point number three is this. We begin here in verse number 16. The third step is rest. The third R. The first R is, as I said already, be real. The second R is look in the rear view mirror. The third R is rest. The third step is to wait patiently. In verse number 16, he says, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. But I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. He says, Lord, I know I've been asking when, 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 but you know what? I am resolving to wait. 
And in verse 17, he says, even though the fig trees will not blossom, and this is the, the, the most famous, one of the famous verses in the Bible that we all know about from Habakkuk. He says, even though the fig tree has no blossoms and there are no grapes in the vines, and even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, and even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will praise the Lord, right? And that, those two verses, Habakkuk decides to rest in God's timing, even though he didn't like what was about to happen, even though he didn't like, about, like what God was about to do to them, the phrase wait patiently, it means to rest quietly. When you and I don't understand what God is doing, wait on him, church. Rest in him instead of rebelling. Where, where, where all of us are a lot like what Margaret Thatcher once, said, Thatcher once said. She said, I'm an extraordinarily patient person provided I get my own way in the end. How many of us do that, right? We're like, Lord, we will wait, we will wait as long as you do what I want you to do. Have you heard of the phrase, when it rains, it pours? It's an amazing phrase, right? And it's true. Here's the thing. It isn't easy to rest when everything hits at the same time. And Habakkuk is explaining just that situation. He's like, Lord, when it's, it's, it's raining, it's actually pouring, Lord. It's, it's, it's not like a little bit here and a little bit there and a little, a little problem here and a little problem. No, no, no. God, it's, it's flooding right now, God, and I have no idea what's going on. Notice what's happening to Habakkuk. The fig trees fail to produce at the same time. The fig trees just stop producing. And at the same time, the olive trees brought forth no olives all together at the same time. It was harvest time and seemingly no harvest was coming all at the same time. The lambs, the calves, it was, it was, they were supposed to be born and it was breeding season. And the breeding season comes and goes, but there's no lambs, there's no calves, there's no meat in the land. And they're like, Lord, what is going on? Guys, you guys know what happens when there's no meat at home. Come on, somebody. Some of y'all looking at your wives. You know that's true. Some of y'all are fasting when there's no meat at home. They're like, we don't want anything. Some of y'all got real grumpy. Habakkuk's like, Lord, there's no meat. We have a problem with this. See, the thing is this. I don't care who you are or how resolved you are, but when everything seems to happen at the same time, it can easily become a rough time in your life. And for Habakkuk, it's no less. How will you deal with life when your prosperity turns into poverty? How are you going to deal with your life when good times turn to hard times? How are you going to deal with your lives when your aspirations turn into adversities? When your blessings begin to feel like burdens, the question is how are you going to handle yourself? In an agricultural society, like where Habakkuk was, was living in at that point in time, it couldn't get worse than that. These were all staple foods, foods that sustained them. When the vine flourishes and the olive crop is abundant, the Bible uses this as a picture of peace and rest. And Habakkuk is explaining a situation where there is no peace, when there is no rest. And in order to feel the weight of the world in which Habakkuk lived, I want you and I to imagine this scenario. Are you ready for this? Okay, you've just had a conversation with God. 
All right, you, you've been in your prayer room, you've been praying it up, you've been asking God, God, what are you about to do for our nation? We've been praying for America. It, it could be a Tuesday evening prayer. We're all in the prayer line together and we're praying for America and, and we're just having conversations about God. And, 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 and God stops you in your tracks and tells you that America's days are numbered. Then imagine that God proceeds to tell you how the collapse of our nation is about to take place. He's going to tell you that our economy is about to sink. The Dow Jones is going to plunge from almost 35,000 right now to 100. Whoa, money would become worthless. Unemployment would rise drastically. People would plunder and kill probably to survive, right? The government would begin to collapse and food would become scarce. And then, at our most vulnerable time, systematically, controlled terrorist attacks would commence, followed by this full-scale attack by North Korea and Iran. How's that? It's kind of what Habakkuk is going through. It's kind of what Judah is going through. Here's a nation. They didn't have nuclear weapons. They were about to come and plunder them, kill them. Bring them down to their knees. What would happen to America if that's what God said would happen to our nation in the middle of us praying? And Habakkuk is in a similar situation like that. But, and we would probably think, and by the year 2024, America as we know it today would cease to exist. But Habakkuk says, he says, although all this is about to happen, I will still rest in Yahweh. I will still rest in God. I don't know, I'm, my, I, I don't know how to grapple my mind around that. I don't know when everything is failing and all comes crashing down at the same time. How many of y'all can attest to this? When it rains, it pours. When you see that something is gonna happen or when you see that God is bringing you out of one situation, it feels like you're going into the next situation. When you feel like your children are getting better, man, something else is falling apart. When you feel like the health of your kids are coming together, it's probably your wife's health or it's your health. Come on, are you identifying with what I'm trying to say this morning? When it rains, it pours. But Habakkuk says, even though all of this is happening, how many of us can say, Lord, I will still rest in you? Resting in the storm is important. What, did, what does the Bible say about Jesus? Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on a cushion is what the Bible says. The storm raging around, Jesus finds a cushion. He finds a pillow and he says, let me put my head down and rest. You know why Jesus was resting? Jesus was resting in the storm because he trusted the word spoken to him by his father and the word indicated that they were going to go to the other side. Jesus knew what his mission on earth was and why his father sent him. So he said, the storm may rage around me, but before my time is up, I will not sink. I will not die. Everybody on this boat with me are going to be with me. Trust and rest in God because you have no control about how your life is going to turn out. Am I talking to somebody today? You can take all the medicine you want to take. You can see all the doctors you want to see. You can be, take all the precautions you want to take. You, you can wear masks and you can get the vaccine. But when God says your time is done, man, your time is done. And the angels will be ready to welcome you into heaven. Oh, some of y'all are super scared right now. I'm not. 
I'm not. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love what I do on a Sunday morning. I love each one of you. But more than any of those things, I love Jesus. And I cannot wait for the day that I meet my Jesus face to face. And I live every single day with that knowledge that until God is done with me, I will not stop breathing. See, the realm in which Jesus' mind was dwelling possessed no storms. Am I talking to somebody? I'm going to repeat that. The realm in which Jesus' mind was dwelling in possessed no storms. You have the choice to either possess your storms or allow your storms to possess you. That's what Colossians reminds us. It reminds us that we have to set our minds on things above, not the things that are on the earth. So if your promises are rooted on what God tells you about you, if if it's rooted on his promises and what, what he has to declare over your life, remember that no matter what the devil brings in front of you, no matter what way is, what what's happening in front of you, no matter what terror comes by your way, God will still bring his purpose through in your life. My fourth point is this, it is rejoice. Verse 18, I love that small word used over there, and that word is yet. Can someone repeat with me and say yet? Yet. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. I will be joyful in the God that saved me. This is good stuff. He says, even though there will be no food, even though I don't have meat, even though I would have to be vegetarian for some time, Habakkuk is determined to rejoice. Come on, somebody. Three those that he had mentioned before God. Though this, and though that, and though this, it it follows with this crescendo of yet. This loud yet. That Job experienced in in chapter number 13 and verse 15, where he says, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. That's some determination. That's some resolve, church. Though I lose my job, yet I will praise him. Though I am stricken down by the sickness, I will still praise him. Though I see no hope for tomorrow, yet I will praise him. Though my bank balance is almost dwindling, I will praise him because my God has called me and he's got my back. I will rejoice is what the Bible says. Job and Habakkuk teach us the same thing, man. Job continues and says, I know my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see my God. For Job, it was his skin. It was his skin that was being destroyed. For some of us, it's our money in front of our eyes that will come crumbling down. And how many of you can say, Lord, I can see it dwindling away. For some of you, it's your job. I can see it going away, Lord. But in the middle of that, how many of you can say, and yet in my flesh, I will see God. My eyes will be focused on the throne. Because if you look back at Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 18, It could be literally translated like this. I will jump for joy in the Lord. 
I will spin around for delight in my God. Those words, rejoice, I will have joy. Those two words are, are words that are rooted in, in, in these two words, or these two meanings. I will spin around. Who spins around? I see my kids, when you tell them, we're going to take you to the park, they go, Or they're jumping up and down. It's, it's an exuberance. It's joy. We told them the other day we're going to take them out to the, to, the, to the fair. And they were like jumping up and down in joy. And they were like, yes. You have to be excited to do something like that. And the tense that's used over here means I will shout for joy and I would shout on. I will spin for joy and I would spin on. Come on, somebody. How does somebody say those things in the middle of disaster? In the middle of hopelessness, in the middle of frailty, in the middle of of death, in the middle of misery, in the middle of, Lord, I have no idea what's going on, but I'm going to spin around, Lord. Does that make sense, y'all? Some of us need to know how to spin around in the presence of God. Some of us need to know how to jump up and down in the presence of God. Because I dare you, some of y'all at three three o'clock today, y'all going to be jumping and screaming in front of the TV. You're going to be spinning. Your wives are going to be like, what is up with you? And, and it was like my dad saying, man, I don't see you do this on Sunday mornings. Every time my cricket team won when I was growing up, I was jumping up and down. Notice that he rejoices in the Lord when he has nothing else. He has the Lord. Come on, somebody, some of us need to be resolved in saying, God, I may not have this or I may not have that. I'm, I may not have this dream job or this dream house or this dream future that I envisioned by the time I was this age or I wanted to get married when I was this age or I had all these plans for me, but it does not matter, God, even though I don't have anything else, I still have you. Because when I can't rejoice in my situation, I can always rejoice in my sovereign. Chuck Swindoll writes this. He says, I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. That's true. Because no matter what happens, Habakkuk has already made the choice to rejoice. Someone say, make a choice. He says, I will. Someone say, I will. There's resolve in that, y'all. There's a certain amount of confidence and resolve and decision in that in saying, no matter what the circumstance, I shall, I will, and nobody can change my mind. I will. It reveals Habakkuk's belief that he could choose his response either to sink into despair or to rejoice in God's presence in his life. And what was his response? His decision was to rejoice. It was not a denial of the hardship. It wasn't a denial of the sorrow. It wasn't a saying, oh, I'm not going to get attacked. We're not going to fall. We're not going to fail. It's gonna, it was a, it was a it, I may fail. I may get destroyed. I may die, but it doesn't matter. I will still rejoice we will have times of sorrow we will have times of grief should I remind you Jesus wept but our attitude towards life that's important we can trust God even in hardships the choice to rejoice is ours every single day and to be reminded to refuse to choose in itself is a choice 
And by refusing, we allow circumstances to overwhelm us and rob us of that joy. It's this woman called Fanny Crosby who wrote over 8,000 hymns. She lost her eyesight when she was only six weeks old. This woman who went on to live into her 90s, composing thousands of beloved hymns, out of her desperation and, and, and out of her sheer despair, she begins to write. And what she wrote, she begins to sing. And those were words like, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. And have you heard of this one? To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Come to the Father through Jesus the Son. Give him the glory, great things he has done. This is the same woman when interviewed on her 92nd birthday, still blind, she cheerfully said, if in all the world you can find a happier or more joyous person than I am, bring him to me. I would like to shake his hand. What's your complaint? What's your disability? What are you complaining about that's not, being able, that, that's not allowing you to be joyful? Joy is a choice, and sometimes you've got to make a choice that doesn't agree with your feelings. Oh, y'all missed that. I'm going to say that one more time. Okay, joy is a choice, and sometimes you've got to make a choice that doesn't agree with your feelings. Go with your gut doesn't apply all the time. Am I talking to somebody? It doesn't. As a Christian, go with the promise more than you go with your gut. My fifth last point is this. The final step to move from pain all the way to praise is to rely, to rely. Verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Man, Habakkuk holds on to the fact that God is sovereign, which refers to his unlimited power and absolute control. Habakkuk, why would you spin out of control. How, why would you jump up and down like a crazy man in the middle of your pain? Because he will tell you two things. One, because God is my strength. I don't do it with my own strength. I do it because God is my strength. And the second thing is he makes me swift like a deer. The prophet ends with in faith. The same prophet that began in uncertainty and pain and God, I have no idea what's going on. He begins with this furrowed brow and he ends with his hands raised in surrender in saying, I'm going to rejoice, Lord. Though I know the Babylonians are coming and they're going to strip us of our vines and the fig trees and the olive grooves and they're going to wipe us out of our animals and the stalls. And he says, I will rejoice no matter what happens because I may not understand, but your plans are higher than my plans, God. 
So from perplexity to anxiety and now to ecstasy. And you ask Habakkuk, Habakkuk, how? How do you go through these varied emotions? And he's prophesying to you. And he's prophesying to me in the middle of our deepest despair. God looks at you and he says, man, I am with you even till the end of time. Do you know that suffering in the hands of a loving God can result in some of the most marvelous work of God in your life? Worship team, would you get ready to help me out here in just a few seconds? God has this way of taking and using the most horrible situations and bringing great good out of them. And if you think about it, God proved that on himself. God played by his own rules and God showed that the very worst thing that could happen in human history could actually become the best thing. I'm talking about the cross if you didn't catch on. Because the day that God died, that could be regarded as the greatest historic tragedy. But times of pain and sorrow brings the true colors out of people. But the amazing thing is that we get to choose those colors. I'm going to repeat that one more time. Pain and suffering brings the true colors out of people. But the amazing thing is that you and I get to choose those colors. Jesus on that cross, right before getting on it, he looks at his father and says, Father, take this cup of suffering away from me. But he makes a choice and he says, not my will, but your will be done. It's amazing. We have the choice. Are you living under your circumstances or are you living above them? Here's what contentment is. Contentment depends on what is on your heart, not what is in your hand, not, not what is how your circumstances are, good, bad, or ugly. Being content in God and knowing that God is in control depends upon your heart and how your heart is positioned, positioned in front of God. So, imagine asking God for an explanation to what you're going through and his answer being, you wouldn't understand. You wouldn't believe me if I told you. That's exactly what God tells Habakkuk in Habakkuk 1. And Habakkuk 1 and 2 is Habakkuk argues and says, why do people do bad things, God, and why do they prosper? Why do my prayers go unanswered? Why does evil go unpunished? And just like him, these are some questions that we grapple with in our earthly existence. Yet, you and I, we muster everything inside of ourselves to forgive the unforgivable. And how do we do this? How do we come back from, from major setbacks to stand in unwavering faith in the middle of deadly storms? I'll tell you how. It's by focusing on the purpose. It's by focusing on the promise that was set before you, not the pain. In saying, God, there's this arc from pain to praise, and I'm willing to take that journey because I know the destination See, God didn't tell you that he's going to stop bad things from happening to you. That wasn't a part of the promise. The promise is I am with you always till the end of time. So like every Sunday, 
we are reminded through that video, hold on, grip tight, ride the wave. Allow your roots, that faith roots that you have to dig deeper and learn to be satisfied in your Savior when every little thing is stripped away from you. Would you stand up to your feet, church? I don't know what you're going through in your life personally, but I know this much, that God loves you. In the ultimate act of sacrifice, God sends his only son to the earth to die on the cross for you and for me. He makes his son go through the ultimate act of pain and suffer through the act, ultimate act of pain in order for restoration and joy. The Bible reminds us that he chose the cross. He chose the cross. He chose the cross. We have choices every single day. And, and you want to know what I do? Can I let you in on something real quick? You know what I do every time I have a choice faced with, hey, Ashish, do you want to go right into some problems? Or do you want to take the shortcut? Do you want to take the, the short route? Or do you want to go through some hardships? Guess what I do all the time? I take the short route because it's more convenient. Hardships? Why would I ever do that? That's crazy talk. But Jesus said, I got to do this. I have to do this. I, I got to walk through this. See, here's the thing about the life of faith. It's about looking at God and saying, God, you know what? I may not understand. And I don't know why I'm going through this physical condition. I don't know why my family is going through what we're going through. But I know one thing, that if I can rely on you, if I can just put my faith and my trust in you, I know you've got my back. Contentment. Contentment is looking at God and saying, God, I may not understand. I may not have that life that I thought I would at this point in time. I, God, I thought I would be married by this time. I thought I would be engaged. I thought that I would go, I, I would finish school. I, I, would, I would have this job or I would be at this position or I would be making this salary by now. Or I would have traveled the world by now. I would have gone to 15 countries by now you know those bucket list items that you have and none of that and you're blaming it on COVID and God's like trust me be content I pray that us as Christians will learn how to just be content with God and say God you know what's going on and even though I am going through this pain I know that it's preordained and you know that it's going to happen and no matter what happens we give it into your hands Today, I pray that we will learn to rest in the Savior when all is stripped away, when all is taken away from us. If you were left with nothing, my question to each one of you is what would your statement be? Would it be, God, I will still trust you? Or would it be, I don't want anything to do with God? Hey, I'm going to be available for prayer back there. Um, if there's anybody that needs prayer during this time, I'm going to ask the worship team to lead us in a time of prayer and worship. And 
I just want us to soak in the presence of God. And if there's something you're praying for, your family's praying for, please don't hesitate to come and pray with me back there. I'd love to spend some time in prayer with you. But let's just reflect on the message and ask God to speak to us uh, and to work in our hearts this evening as we reflect. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.